All right, John chapter 19. Let's start with verses 38 through 42. Uh, like I said last week, uh, Ken did a phenomenal job covering uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, so Jesus has died, and we're picking up what happens next. So John chapter 19, verse 38, it says this. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Okay, now all four gospel uh, uh, accounts of this event, they, they mention Joseph of Arimathea, okay? Now, uh, as we've been going through the book of John, we haven't seen his name mentioned before, uh, but it's mentioned here. And what we know from the different accounts of this event uh, is that Joseph of Arimathea, he was, he was a rich person, okay? So he was rich. Uh, he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, uh, the religious rulers. He was a part of that. He had disagreed with their decision to condemn Jesus. We also read that he was uh, a good and righteous man who was actively waiting and praying uh, for the kingdom of God. We read here that he was a disciple of Jesus, although he was uh, secretly a disciple of Jesus out of fear of the Jews. Now, typically, John would have made it a point about how that's wrong, uh, but here we see something different. Uh, we see uh, he approaching Pilate and asking Pilate for Jesus's body. Pilate allows him uh, to take it. And so uh, Joseph uh, takes Jesus's body and he begins to prepare it for burial. He's also assisted by some ladies and then also Nicodemus, uh, who was another member of the Sanhedrin, uh, who, as John indicates here, um, was the one who came to Jesus by night. Uh, back, way back when, almost a year ago, in John chapter 3, we uh, saw and looked at Nicodemus secretly meeting with Jesus at night. And so Nicodemus brought uh, the, the mixture of myrrh and aloes, and it's about 75 pounds uh, of weight, which is about the weight uh, of spices they would use to bury royalty. And so Joseph and, and, and Nicodemus, they are determined to give Jesus um, an honoring burial. I mean, they want to honor him by how they take care of his Body And what's so interesting here is we have Joseph, who's been this secret disciple, now publicly identifying himself with Jesus. And then you have Nicodemus, who had secretly met with Jesus before, and now he's publicly identifying himself as a follower of Jesus. Now, at this point in time, there, there's obviously some major risk attached with associating yourself with Jesus, isn't there? I mean, he was just crucified. 
right? So it's not the time. In fact, the disciples were afraid. It's not the time uh, to be going, I'm a Jesus follower, right? So what happened in these guys? What change took place? Right? Like, what, what happened? I, you know what? Uh, I wish I could just tell you this is what happened. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But something happened. I don't know if, if, if watching Jesus get crucified, and we talked about just how horrific that scene was. We don't know if it was that. We don't know if there was a conversation, a moment, a look. We don't know what it was. But for whatever reason, these guys step out now who were private about their faith, who were secretive about their faith, and now they are literally displaying courage that they hadn't displayed before. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the, ra- the reality uh, that... Um, Guys, there's so many interactions that I have or I walk away from and I go, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have said that. In fact, uh, maybe you had, uh, you know, a bunch of family that, that was either around or you were connecting with or, or had phone conversations with over, uh, you know, the Christmas uh, break and during that time. Uh, and, and maybe after they left or after the phone calls, uh, you went, man, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have uh, done that. And, but, but it's too late. And I think, I, I think a lot of times we beat ourselves up for what we didn't do uh, or what we should have done. And what this reminds me of is it's never too late to take a step of courage. It's just, it, it's not. If you still have breath, you have the ability to take a stand for Jesus. You can still have that conversation. Yeah, you may look back and go, well, that was a better time. Okay, but, but it's not done yet. In fact, their moment of courage, we would say that's the wrong time. What are you doing? But we see that. And so it's never too late to be courageous about your faith. Now, they took Jesus's body and, and it says they bound it in linen wrappings with the spices. And that was the custom of the Jews uh, at that time. And, and by doing this, they're also demonstrating that they're, they're clearly not anticipating a resurrection, right? I mean, if, if he was gonna resurrect, they wouldn't have loaded his body with 75 pounds of spices and, and wrapped him up, would they have? Okay, so nobody's anticipating or expecting uh, a resurrection at this, at this point. The place that they were at where Jesus was crucified, uh, it says here in John's account that there was a garden right there. Uh, and in that garden, there was a tomb that, that no one had been laid in yet. And Matthew tells us that that was actually Joseph's own tomb. And since it was the Jewish day of preparation, it's Friday, and since that was almost over before the Sabbath, they had to work quickly. And since that tomb was nearby, it made sense for them to lay Jesus there. Now, this tomb had been carved out of a rock, and it was sealed uh, by a large stone uh, at the entrance, this large stone that would roll. And all of these things are important because Jesus, remember, had not only called his death, but what else? He called his own resurrection. In in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so he's called his resurrection. And and David actually in Psalm uh, 1610, uh, he actually prophesied about the Messiah uh, when he said, 
um, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Okay, so uh, you weren't gonna let your Holy One see, your, his body see any uh, corruption. And, and so it's important for us to know that this is happening Friday evening. Now the Jews, they counted, uh, if, if there was any part of the day that counted as the day to them. So, so when they say three days, Friday counts. Okay, uh, and so Jesus is buried. Uh, you know they've they've done their best to prepare him uh, to bury him, and now we go to verse or to chapter twenty, verse one, and it says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday at this point. It's early uh, Sunday. And Mary Magdalene came early to uh, the tomb. She came to finish the, the, the burial process. Uh, the other gospels uh, tell us that other women also came to the tomb uh, that morning. Uh, but John mentions Mary only and, 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 and says that she came while it was still uh, dark. So, so more than likely, uh, the, her and some other ladies headed out, but she uh, went ahead of them and arrived earlier than they did. And so she's the first one to arrive at the tomb, and as she uh, walks up, she, she sees the stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. Now, her fear is what? Her fear is that some robbers have come and stolen the body, or the spices and all that, or uh, her fear is that the authorities have taken Jesus's body. And so she sees this, she's panicked, she's afraid. And so she runs uh, to go tell the disciples and she finds Peter and John and she tells them they've taken Jesus out of the tomb. I don't know where they've put him. Now, what is not even in her mind right now? The thought of a resurrection. It's not even on the table. It's all fear. It's like, he's gone. What are we gonna do? And so Peter and John... Uh, they run towards the tomb, John tells us. John makes it very clear they ran so that he could also be very clear that he won the race. <laughs> so I love the book of John. And you just imagine, you know, because God's word, it's the inspired word of God. It's not the inspired word of John. 
And so you can just imagine as the Holy Spirit is directing John what to write, and John's like, come on, please. Just let me, just come on. It's not gonna hurt anything, you know? And uh, let it live on. And, uh, and it was agreed. And so uh, it's there for the rest of eternity that John was faster than Peter. And, and he was there first, and he also once again alludes to himself as who? The disciple that Jesus loved because Jesus didn't love anybody else. So uh, we have that there for all of us. John wins this race. He shows up first and he looks into the tomb. He looks into the tomb. Peter finally arrives and Peter goes straight into the tomb. Goes right into the tomb and, and, and right away it's clear Jesus' body is gone. But just what, what blows their mind is the linen wrappings were still there and it didn't appear as if they had been moved. Okay, so they're there, and even the face cloth, which was wrapped around his head, it wasn't just in the pile there. It was separate from uh, the pile by itself, rolled up all nicely, uh, which clearly points to robbers didn't take his body. Uh, nobody took his body. Uh, in fact, um, many uh, believe that Jesus actually, in his glorified, resurrected body, just went through uh, the linen wrappings. And so, and so literally all of that's there and, and they're processing this, they're seeing this. And it says what? That John saw this and he believed. John saw this and he believed. In that moment, he believed in the resurrection. Now here's what's interesting. They still didn't fully understand everything it says. They still didn't fully understand. And so here's, here, here's what's really important uh, about this. You guys, you can arrive at belief before you understand everything. Sometimes um, our desire to understand everything holds us back from what we believe to be true. Okay, there's, there's so many people that I've met with over the years that, that have literally said, I believe that, but I don't understand all of this, so I'm not gonna make this decision. And, 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 and guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, man, I've been studying this for a long time. Uh, there is so much that I don't understand, so much. But I know enough to believe, and I know enough to where that belief has aligned itself with conviction for my life, to where I could take the step of faith and receive him as Lord and Savior. And so for, for John, he, what he's seen leads him to know and to understand that Jesus has been resurrected, but now that belief and understanding has to align itself with the conviction to now follow Jesus, doesn't it? And so you may be in two circles. You may be at this place where what you don't understand is continuing to hold you back. And you gotta ask yourself, well, do you believe? Because if you believe, I believe you can take that step forward. But there's others of us who have said we believe, but it has not aligned itself to conviction, to obedience, to actually following him. And there's a difference. We keep going. In, in verse 11, it says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Just reading that just gets me excited. Mary's returned to the tomb. She's there and she's just weeping. She's outside of it. She, she can't understand why. Where is he? They've taken him. And she's just, finally, as she's weeping, curiosity gets the best of her and she looks in. As she looks in, there's two angels there and she doesn't recognize them as angels. And they ask, why are you weeping? You should be rejoicing, right? Why are you weeping? And she tells them, uh, they've, taken, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they've taken him. And so she, she turns around and, and Jesus is there now. Jesus is there, but she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. In fact, she thinks it's the gardener. And Jesus asks her, he says, hey, why are you weeping? She tells him the same thing. And then she says, listen, you're the gardener. It, it, tell me where you've taken him. Where, where is he? Just, if you'll tell me where you took him, uh, that would be great because then I can give him a proper burial. I can honor him. So please help me finish the process. Tell me where he's at. And then Jesus says, Mary. Oh, if there's a moment that I wish I could be. He says, Mary, just says her name, and immediately she recognizes it's him. And she says in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Teacher, a term of endearment. And overcome, overwhelmed with emotion, she just clings to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, stop clinging to me right now. I have not yet ascended to the Father. And then he told her to go and tell the disciples of his coming ascension. And here's what's so powerful. For the first time, Jesus calls the disciples what? His brothers. Did you catch that? See, after Jesus rises from the dead, the position of his disciples is forever changed. See, they're no longer cut off from a perfect and holy God. They're no longer enemies. They're no longer dead in their uh, sins. Uh, he had just paid for their sins and his sacrifice had been accepted by God so that they could be forgiven. See, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is proof that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And so it's through his work of redemption on the cross and the resurrection that those who believe in him are now adopted as God's sons and daughters. They're 
family. Which is also why Jesus referred to my father as your father. And my God is your God. This is the only time Jesus refers to God as the disciples' father. It it reminds me of Romans 8.15, where Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And included uh, with our position as as children of God because uh, it, it wasn't just like, oh man, the disciples, guys, this is us now. This is us as Jesus followers. If we place our faith and hope and trust in him, uh, we're no longer just followers. We are family. And included with this position as children of God is are a whole bunch of promises. Just a few of the promises. There is a promise of heavenly inheritance. Okay, the immeasurable riches of God are ours eternally. Some of you are like, I wonder what my inheritance looks like. Okay, man, forget that. I forgot mine a long time ago. My dad's a pastor. Ain't nothing coming here, okay? <laughs> but, but literally, we're caught up in that. And, 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 and you guys, he's like, he, in fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Whoo! So there you go. All right, so so part of this being adopted into his forever family is his kind of an inheritance. Okay, Uh, what also comes with this is what? Unconditional love. Romans chapter eight, uh, 38 and 39, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Was he clear enough for you? Right? There's absolutely nothing that anyone has said or done that you've said or you've done. Uh, There's absolutely nothing that's been done to you. There's, There's literally nothing on this planet that could separate you from the love of God. So stop separating yourself. That's part of your inheritance as a Jesus follower, if you've made that decision, is the unconditional love of God. You guys, man, I try to love people unconditionally, but guess what? I fail. Over and over and over again, I fail. I fail at that. Because people disappoint, don't they? And, And I disappoint myself. And so I can't do that, you guys, but a perfect and holy God is saying, I've adopted you into my family and I'm gonna love you unconditionally. The promise of acceptance. And this is a different kind of acceptance. This is an acceptance not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus accomplished. And so when we talk about the acceptance that we can have confidence with, Our confidence of acceptance, it doesn't rest on us, but it rests on Jesus. See, our validation doesn't come from other people. 
It comes from what Jesus says about our new identity. Identity. See, so often we will base our acceptance off of how we feel we're doing, don't we? Well, he'll, he'll only accept me if I do this and this. I clearly didn't do that. Um, I, I've clearly just disqualified myself from, from, from receiving that, from being accepted, because God, you would never accept someone like me who's done something like that. You would never accept someone like me who's continued to, to, to play this game, but not been genuine. You've, you, 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 there's no way you could accept me who's got this in my background, uh, who's done this. There's just no uh, way. And so we treat ourselves like that and we literally bury ourselves uh, into this place that, that's not even true. It's not even true because your acceptance was never about you. It was never about your worthiness. And so take that off. And then here's the other thing. Some of you are, are, are literally projecting onto other people that their acceptance is at risk by how they're acting, by their mistake, uh, by a decision. And, 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 and here we are, brothers and sisters, uh, one father, and we're trying to be father now. And we're, we may not say that, but we're treating other people like you're no longer worthy of being accepted. Man, that is so far from this. It's so far from it. Quit being so tough on yourself and quit being so tough on other people. See, we now are called to relate to one another as members of God's family. And so this affects everything about us. Right? This is an identity exchange. This goes from me living for me to me living for him. Uh, this affects how I pray. I'm not praying to some disconnected, all-powerful force. I'm praying now to my heavenly father. It affects how we, how we give, how we're generous, how we, how we love uh, other people, how we look at other people, how we care for other people, how we care for each other. And ultimately, our view of life and death. Because when Jesus resurrected, the power of death completely changed. See, when you think about the things that are constant in our life, there's, there's two, right? There's birth and death. You've been birthed and you die, right? Those two things, they happen. Okay, and, and in Psalm 39, it, it literally talks about how this life is but a, a breath. Okay, and, and so literally uh, you're, you're, you're born, uh, you die, and, and, and from womb to tomb, it's a breath. It's quick. Uh, that's how it's described in the Bible. And that's Mary's mindset here. Right, Mary's mindset is Jesus was great. He was awesome. I believed in him. I worshiped him. I followed him. Um, I, I believed what he said, um, but he's dead. He's dead. See, what is she looking for? She's looking for Jesus's body. But upon finding the body gone, her report to the disciples is, I didn't see his body, right? His body's gone. Guys, I didn't see his body. But look what she says in verse 18. She doesn't say, I haven't, she doesn't say, I have now seen the Lord's body. What does she say? I have seen the Lord. 
Jesus conquered death. Conquered death. See, before the resurrection, uh, people walked around wondering when death was going to strike. <laughs> Right, it's it's. I know what's happening. Uh, I'll do everything I can uh, to uh, avoid it. When am I going to get hit by death? But Jesus disarmed death. He showed us what awaits those who are His once they pass on from this life. I love how the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter two, uh, fourteen and fifteen. It says, "Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." That's so good. You guys, the fear of death is lifelong slavery without Jesus. It will enslave everything about you. And, 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 and we, and, and here's what's tough. It's, I'm seeing not just people that know nothing about Jesus in this camp now. I'm seeing uh, a lot of us who claim the name of Christ also uh, in this spot to where literally uh, we, we don't wanna face it and we'll do anything we can to avoid it, right? I mean, how many of us have anti-aging products in our house? <laughs> right? I, mean, <laughs> I get it, I get it. My wife used to pluck my grays and now it's unpluckable. It's like, it's happening. All these things are happening, right? And some of you are like, you don't even know. You know, like, I don't, okay? I'm getting there, right? But, but here's the reality. It's happening. And, and, and we're doing everything we can to what? To figure out how to avoid that coming, right? Uh, to the point where uh, how do I, like, guard, protect myself, my family from anything like that uh, to the other extreme, which is... Uh, what? Well, uh, it's real. It's going to happen. Um, and so I'm just going to party, right? So you have two extremes and that's always been the case. There's been the extreme of I'm afraid of everything because death is it, or I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do the Solomon thing because death is it, right? And so you see these two uh, postures, but ultimately they both are slavery from this thought of death, aren't they? It's both, both of them are motivated from death, a fear of dying. But here is the reality. The fear of death. If we don't understand and know what Jesus did and receive what he did, that, that fear of death, it will handcuff all of your goals, your hopes and dreams, and it will handcuff them to the desires of this life. All your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your desires, they will be all about this life because this is all you have. So if I'm living out of fear of death, that's motivating every decision I make. 
It's motivating how I parent. It's motivating how I, I love my wife. It's motivating what I do with my, my money. It's motivating uh, my calendar. Uh, it's motivating my occupation. Uh, it dominates everything. And all of my desires, aspirations, if that's what's dominating me, they're all gonna be uh, about what? They're all gonna be about here and now because this is it for me. That's why, man, I totally relate to anybody who's paralyzed by fear because guess what? If I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior right now, I don't know how I would be responding to everything. I don't. I tell you one, if this is it for me, I don't know. Man, I hope I'm not on this extreme, <laughs> you know? I hope I'm not. I don't know. But, but, but man, I'll tell you what, if I didn't know Jesus, I would be paralyzed in fear right now. And I'll tell you what else I would be doing. I would be holding on to everything I could because this is it. Guys, if, if, if Jesus didn't conquer death, we might as well just go crazy, right? We might as well just whatever. We might as well because, uh, because this is it. But we can now live for the next life because of the resurrection. We cannot live for eternity because this is temporary. See, what's so beautiful about this, and we have to remember this, is we uh, are not bystanders of the resurrection. We are participants in Jesus's resurrection. So our priorities and our worldview should reflect that. Colossians uh, chapter three, verses one and two, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, so, so as Christians, if I call myself a Christian, <laughs> there's a resurrection perspective we should have in this world, amen? Everything should be viewed out of that out of Christ's resurrection and how through his resurrection, he's resurrected us from that former life, from that, that slavery to death. He's resurrected us out of that. So I should have a new view. I should be walking with a living hope um, to what he's called me to do, which is not going to be focused on the seen, but the unseen. And as you get to live in light of this, this is the beauty. You're free. Do you guys understand you're actually, there's freedom here? Because no, death no longer has a claim on you. So we're free to live for what lasts. Eternity with Jesus. We're able to live freely, giving up everything in this life because we're guaranteed another greater eternal life with Jesus. You guys, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. In fact, in Romans 10, 9, Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
There is no gospel without the resurrection. And, and, and Paul furthers his case in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 because some of the Corinthians, uh, uh, some in the Corinthians church, they were saying there was no resurrection uh, of the dead. And, and they, they said, no, that, that doesn't happen. That's impossible. And they claimed that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and that that didn't matter. And that that's okay that that didn't matter. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he responds harshly. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, I'll read a couple of the verses. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And then he says in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Guys, if the resurrection didn't happen, we would still be in our sins. And everything we believe about God, everything we believe about Jesus and his life, it would be empty and it would be meaningless. He would be a great, inspiring leader, teacher that died a brutal death. But you guys, the gospel is what? The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And the best part of the good news is that Jesus won. Jesus won. Death was defeated and eternal life is ours through him. This was the ultimate demonstration of Christ's power over death and proof of his deity. You know, when we look at this passage, uh, this passage is all about what? It's all about change, change that happens. The change in the grave from full to empty, the change in John as he looked uh, and, and then believes the change in Mary uh, who went from weeping uh, to uh, rejoicing. Um, and all of these changes took place because of the resurrection. And so the question for us is what are the changes in our lives that need to take place in light of the resurrection? For some of us, we need to ask, what are the changes that need to be made? And, and for some of us, we gotta ask, have there ever been changes made? Have I just believed, but it's never aligned itself with conviction? Okay, because I got, I got news for you. Satan believes. The demons believe. It has to go somewhere. It has to align with conviction. It has to align with my faith, taking that step. And so for some of you this morning, that's step one, is, is literally receiving him as Lord and Savior. And, and, and to do that, it's, it's literally just as Romans 10, uh, 9 put it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can literally declare that to him right now. You can pray right now and say, God, I believe in you. I believe that this is true. I believe that Jesus came and died for my sins. I believe that he resurrected, having victory over sin and death. And right now I place my faith and my hope and trust in you. And I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. You're saved. You are adopted into his family. But, but maybe it's a change in how you're living right now. Right, Maybe right now how you're living uh, doesn't reflect the resurrection. It reflects slavery. Slavery to this life, slavery to death and that fear of death. 
one of the easiest ways to identify if that's happening in my life is, is literally just looking at what are the things I won't let go of. Right, what are the things that I find my mind consumed with? What are the worries that I find myself consumed with? What are the things I continue to beat myself up over? All these things uh, are, are consuming my mind and my heart and absolutely anything can become an idol. We, an idol is anything that replaces God. And so if there's anything in your life right now that, that needs to be put away because it's taken the place of God and you're not living in light of the resurrection, you're living in light of slavery to this or that or that happening or, or whatever it may be. Man, I would, I would encourage you to make some changes this morning uh, to that. Are you living as if God is your father this morning? Right? Are you, are, are, do you view him as that? Or is he this distant, disconnected God? Uh, is he this attachment uh, to, to prayers uh, that, you, that you believe you're supposed to pray? Or is he actually your father, your perfect heavenly father? He's not a father like I am to my kids. Because guess what? Man, I, I struggle. I, I make mistakes. And, and some of you, man, you've had fathers that, that were anything but good, righteous, godly, and all of that. Well, he is the perfect father who loves you unconditionally. Uh, is that a reality? for you? And then second, how are you treating each other? Are, are we living this out in how we uh, treat each other as brothers uh, and sisters? Um, is, is that clear? And guys, ultimately, it just comes back down to, is my life prioritizing the here and now or the eternity? What is it? Is what's filling my mind and my heart, the here and the now or the eternity? Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about he? And that's ultimately the end of this. But guys, victory has been won for you. It demands a response, doesn't it? It's here and you have the opportunity to live that out, to receive that and be forever changed. Let's live like this is true. Let's wake up daily with the reality that the resurrection is real and it's transformed my life. Amen. Let's pray.